0: sister that Welcome to In the Zone. I'm your host, Garrison Roy. We got another full length interview episode today. Before we get into that, right? If you have any questions or topics or even guests that you want to see on the podcast, feel free to email that in in the zone podcast123 at gmail.com. And obviously, I'm not going to have any ads or anything through any of these episodes because I believe in value exchange. If you learn something, you You know, see things through a different light or a different perspective, share the show, share it with your teammates, friends, family, right? And we'll continue to keep making these episodes for you because more importantly, we're just here to grow the game and help guys, coaches, players, and even parents, which we'll touch on a little bit today, um, you know, get better. So with that being said, we have our full-length interview with Brooks Braga, the BRX co-owner. What's up, Brooks?
1: How you doing, Garrison? Pumped to be here, man. Been looking yeah. forward to it. This is going to be a fun convo. I can already tell. Okay, um, yeah, hopefully some stuff that your uh, listeners don't get a chance to hear a ton about. So I'm looking forward to looking yeah. forward to talking and talking shop.
0: It's always good to have things from a different perspective, regardless of where it's at. So, I guess to start out, you know, maybe a lot of people that are listening here don't know what BRX is or where it's at. So, enlighten us where where are you guys located out
1: yeah so we're in uh we're in milwaukee of all places beautiful in the winter time right um no it's uh we, we make do with what we got but yeah we're on the west side of milwaukee we um we opened in 2016 officially um a little bit further west of milwaukee but year end kind of outgrew the space we were in moved into where we are now and it's, it's really nice it's thirteen thousand square feet we got some cages a few tunnels um, you know, sprint lane, and uh, it's, it's a good spot for us, to be able to grow into it, and uh, yeah, it's nice. That's what we're doing now.
0: Love it, I love it. So, did you always start out at BRX? Was like the, that the very first thing that you did? Um, you know, coming out of your the the coaching world, or from playing to coaching, or did you have a journey kind of leading up into this?
1: Yeah, definitely on a journey. I'll go back to the very beginning. So I was an athlete in high school, always pretty fast, but definitely a string bean. Um, Played football, baseball, basketball in high school. Ended up uh, pursuing baseball in college at a school called UW Lacrosse D3 School in Wisconsin. And, um, you know, kind of found my love for the weight room in college. And uh, basically the way this kind of all like really started to kind of pick up steam was you know and this was back in 2010 you know so it wasn't like i could expect our program to be to be fantastic right. but you know it's bench press back squat hang clean power clean it was there was one sports performance coach for all the teams so it's just really cookie cutter program we're pretty much doing exactly what the football team doing and uh for me i think we we tested in and then tested out like before and after this program and uh so basically tested it in the fall went through our winter weightlifting program My 60 yard dash was was six four on the sun track so probably like 6'6 six, six on grass, but 6'4 on track we tested vertical jump was just north of 30. And uh, so that was always my game, like stealing bases, running down fly balls, right, because I was an outfielder. Yeah, and I packed on 20 pounds my freshman, like fall and winter we retested and i just felt worse like and i think a lot of strength coaches have like this origin story especially baseball right you kind of learn what not to do and it kind of let's help people make avoid the same mistakes that i made right and uh we retested my 60 was down to six six so it got two tenths worse and my my vertical jump was was 29 so like i'm looking at this and i'm like sure i gained 20 pounds but i feel worse I'm moving slower. I just didn't feel like I became a better athlete, right? Wow. And so we could go into more nuance than that. But really, that's kind of what like had me because that was always like that YouTuber, like, you know, what's what should I be doing? Stumbled across, uh, across Cresty, Um, And uh, that's kind of what shifted how I viewed baseball strength training. Finished at lacrosse. Got my numbers back to where they, they should have been uh, by training the right way. Had a really brief stint professional ball with the Gary Railcats, the American Association Independent League. I actually did an internship at CSP Masses. I know you did your internship at CSP as well. I was up in Massachusetts in 2014. And then that's kind of like how things picked up steam as far as my career in this field. Moved back. And then um, uh, before we opened up BRX, so I finished my internship in 2014. We opened BRX in 2016. And then in 2015, I was working at a facility on the west side of Milwaukee And um, was there for a year and I'm not sure how much you want me to get into kind of like how that first year was, but that kind of, you know, basically brings you up to speed from how, like who I was growing up, how I got interested in the field and then kind of like what led to starting BRX. Cool. I
0: love it. I love it. And it's definitely a good perspective for you. Like you had that pre to post test and you knew like, Hey, this isn't working, you know, and some people would either just throw in the towel or blame the coach and be like, oh yeah like this this program doesn't work like (laughs) but they don't take any action to fix it right and i commend you for that that you were just like you realized it and you would just be like oh well maybe i could keep doing the same thing over and over again maybe i just didn't go hard enough or you know whatever but for you to be able to take a step back and be like okay i need to change my plan here i don't need to like stop lifting or stop training altogether but you know, there, there needs to be a shift and a focus and how you're going about doing things, which is, yeah.
1: Important. And I think I was listening to your podcast. I think it was connected performance you did like a month or so ago and you, you guys, yeah, guys were talking uh, about, aha. Yeah, yeah, you guys were talking about aha moments. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like every, not every good coach, but I feel like it's something that a lot of good coaches have in common is they had like that aha moment when they were younger, that kind of put things in perspective. And I think that's where like, you know, you what's the saying like, you know, like luck is where opportunity makes hard work. And it's like, you got to have like that, like aha moment, that opportunity, but then you have to be the kind of person who takes that and runs with it, like you said, and takes action. And I think that's what all good coaches have in common is they, they use something or they, they do something with that aha moment. And that's something I think you and I both share. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's definitely little aha moments that build up over time too. It's you you have one that's like definitely that paradigm shift, but then yes, as you continue to evolve, if you, and, unless you're not evolving and you're not growing, then you know that's another story. But yeah. um, you know you want to continue to keep building off of that. It may not be as uh, exponential of a jump, but it, it'll it'll definitely have some some changes to and from with that. But that's cool. Totally. So I guess you know there's there's a lot of training facilities or like training companies, things like that that are popping up every, you know, so often now. Um, So I guess a question I would pose for you guys is like, Hey, how are you guys different or what is your
1: particular niche of like what you guys know you do exceptionally well at? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So I definitely think it's important to have that disclaimer and set the stage for how I view training and the lens through which I view running you know, a sports performance business, running a gym, serving an athlete is through our like specific model. And so um, I actually just made a presentation for Zach Deacon's uh, baseball performance summit. And I said this because I know there's a lot of, you know, college SNC coaches, there's one-on-one personal trainers and there's semi-private owners, coaches, and everyone is going to like use information a different way, depending on who they work with. Right. And so, um, we talk about at BRX, we talk about kind of like Ferraris and Acuras. And I, I view like, you know, the, the drive lens of the world, the treads of the world as like, they're, they're the Ferrari, right? They have no, they make no, um, they make no false promises about, Hey, we want to have like, you know, a, a nationwide chain of gyms. Right. And that's like the Ferrari mentality to me. And for us, like we want to be the Acura, we don't want to have a crap product, but we want to, let me back up for a second and say that I feel like the biggest problem in the industry for like not coaches, but for like athletes is not so much an information issue, but like an implementation issue. I feel like a lot of like, they're always, the kids are going to drive to fly to driveline, fly to tread, you know, and facilities like that. But, um, 99% of kids just need someone there to like show them the way in person, in my personal opinion. And I feel like that's like what we've tried to capitalize on with BRX and what our plans are for growth. Um, and so Getting, you know, out of the weeds for a second, you ask the question, you know, what makes us different? We have a customer avatar. And for us, that's like everything, every decision we make as a business, it is with like our customer avatar in mind. And that person, that fictitious person is baseball Billy, right? So baseball Billy is a five foot eleven inch, 150 pound high school like sophomore to be. He's playing on a travel team. He throws 78 miles an hour. He wants to be a D1, D2, D3 college athlete. He's currently not getting a look right? And he doesn't know why he's not getting a look. And for most kids, not all, right? Because there are those kids that just show up at, you know, six to 190 pounds without stepping their foot inside of a weight room and they're throwing 90 and they get a look, right? But for 95% of kids, that is not the case. Most of those kids, their first domino to push over is they need to get stronger. They're 150 pounds. They don't eat breakfast. They, you know, have a, they have Pitching lessons, they do strength training, but it's never really with a purpose. And so, for us, what we do different is we want to meet the needs of baseball Billy better than any other facility in the country. And so, that really to set that sets the stage for I think how we're different. And so, I think that that bleeds into what we view our role as as coaches, right? Like programming, coaching, incredibly important, but for baseball Billy. That's not the only thing that matters for a professional athlete. It's a totally different story as far as training economy, where they should be spending their time for baseball, Billy, the very first thing he should be prioritizing is he needs to pack on 20 to 30 pounds and almost nothing else matters until then. Right. So I would say um, from a broad standpoint, painting with a broad brush, I'd say that's how we're different is for us. It's not just X's and O's. It's not just training. You know, we absolutely bust our humps to train athletes you know, as good as we can, we spent our coaches spend two hours a day program writing. So don't get me wrong. It's still super important, but we really try to, um, you know, attack the behavioral barriers to success, not just the tactical coaching barriers to success for these athletes.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And, you know, honestly, growing up, I wish, you know, I, I kind of had to trial and error this a little bit. Like there was a general guy that I would go to in town that like did pretty much all the sports. but I'd, i would go to like all these other specialized places uh for like throwing specifically i'll kind of keep the particular place or name just think back 20, 2009 2010 what was around then uh, but they were just like hey like yeah your mechanics are deemed pretty good or per- like pretty close to perfect but like you just need to build a bigger motor and I was like okay how do i do that and i just had no idea so then it was kind of starting from from square one that was that that baseball Billy. but I still could perform and throw hard. I was – yep. right? But it was like, oh, hey, like, I guess I need to go, you know, work out with the, – the guy who was a trainer in town was more of a football coach, but he, like, he focused on speed and agility and stuff. And then, you know, I kind of was like, hey, like, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense for me to do. Like, back then it was barbell bench press, right? Like, everybody yeah. – you know, you demonize that, which looking back now, I'm like, it probably wouldn't have been the worst thing to do, but you know, it's depends on the goal of what you're, you're trying to get out of it. Right. A lot of people say that like that one particular exercise is going to be, you know, the downfall of your shoulder and others are like, Hey, like it's just another variation. I tend to lean a little bit more towards that. Um, now, as far as regards, like, scapular movement, like, we can go down that rabbit hole whenever another episode podcast coming out on that one. But, um, you know, it's like those those little foundational things when you're that baseball Billy does set you up for success a lot further down the road that than, than what people realize. Skip ahead the next 60 seconds if you don't want to find out about Company I co founded, Ink Sports Performance. So here's the scoop. At Ink Sports Performance, we get it. We were athletes ourselves, former college and professional pitchers. We were also perform- former college coaches as well. Rob and I, we don't do one size fits all programs. We custom craft each training and throwing program and offer that one on one coaching support that you need where you're not just a number. We're all about that personal touch. We'll dive into your training videos, whip up some of the program designed to take you to your next level. Nothing cookie cutter here. So if you, one of your friends, or maybe a player that you know is serious about competing at the next level, hit us up on our website, give us a call, get that set up at inksportsperformance.com. and also just a heads up, we're also very selective who we take, right? We only take a handful of dedicated athletes and if you're not putting in the work, we'll have to say goodbye. So let's ink you in to the next level.
1: Yeah. And I think um, there's always just kind of like a misalignment of like goals and understanding of action and like what sequential order needs to be taken. Right. So we'll have kids that come in and they'll say, you know, and again, this use baseball ability as an example. You know, and again, we all know that whether or not a kid gets a look is much more than just the number they hit at a radar gonna showcase. But it's like the first, like very first step. If you throw seventy-eight, I don't care how good your actions are across the infield, you're not gonna get a look, right? And so for us, we have kids that come in and they say, Hey, like my goal is to be a college athlete. Oftentimes it's division one, discussion for a different day, right? I played division three baseball. Yeah. Um, but you know, like our job, at least I view our job as coaches is to is to not tell not um not create the the goal for the athlete listen to what they're saying and then be honest with them about what it's going to take and i'm not saying that we're right about 100% of our takes but this no. is what we think and we think it's important to clearly communicate that to the athlete billy you say you want to play division 1 college baseball right right now you are a sophomore in high school you're going to be a junior you're currently throwing 78 look at this graph here as far as what this shows what trajectory that like your current metric show that you're on Can you see how there's a gap between these two numbers? Yes. Okay. Billy, do you think that if you play in eight more showcase tournaments, knowing this gap is here, do you think that you have any chance of catching a coach's eye based on what they're looking for? No. Okay. And I'm not saying this to beat you down. I'm saying this because I was in your shoes once, Billy, right? And I had no one to grab me by the shoulders and say, Brooks, you need to focus on this first, right? Think of this in terms of sequential order of steps. You need to get stronger. That will improve your skills. Once you are skilled enough, and then you're playing in a tournament, a coach is gonna notice you, Mm -hmm. then he'll recruit you, and then you get a scholarship, but don't get it twisted. Right now, Billy, the first thing we gotta fix is that first domino. We got to get you stronger. And I could tell you what you want to hear, which is that you could play in 20 more tournaments this year and someone's going to look at you and say, I want to offer that guy a division one scholarship. Or I can tell you what you need to hear, which is what I wish someone would have told me when I was your age, which is Brooks, get your dang ass in the weight room. You got and eat breakfast for crying out loud, right? (laughs) You can't eat 1800 calories and think you're going to get to your ultimate goal. Fix this first. And what's beautiful about this is you have full control over this, right? Yeah. What's better than that? Like what you need to do, you have full control over like, like, awesome, sign me up. Then we'll talk about improving your mechanics. Then we'll talk about like what tournaments and showcases and camps make the most sense to. But I'm here to give you the best advice based on what your goals are. Not saying, you know, we're right about everything, but this is what we honestly believe. And if you're going to show up to our facility, I feel like I owe you my honest opinion. So yeah, it's kind of a rant there. No, but that's that's kind of how it feels for an athlete coming into our facility. And we do have, you know, we have a handful of pro guys, we have a handful of college guys, and they they have a different approach. But you know, ninety five percent of our clients at our gym are between thirteen and eighteen years old, and generally have a couple of the same things holding them back. So,
0: yeah, uh, which is great though, and like I'm sure each one of them has their own timeline of like where they're on in that process, and uh, you know. To your point, let's say, like getting stronger, just building that better, you know, system to be able to problem solve, like a lot of things can not necessarily fix itself. But as they get stronger and develop and become a little bit more proprioceptive of their body, they you don't have to focus on the mechanics
1: nearly as much because it's kind of simultaneously cleaning itself up. Well, that's a great point. I mean, how many kids show up they can't lead leg block, they got valgus on their lead knee, and all of a sudden they just strength train for three months you put them back on the camera and it's magic everything's magically fixed itself because we both know that a lot of mechanical issues are are strength based in nature right mm-hmm. and um so 100 agree now again there are always those kids and i'm not trying to be the guy who has a, a hammer and everything you know everything's a nail and i have a hammer yeah. but because uh, there are kids who come in we have i would just last week we had a kid that came in and said hey like he's already six six one two twenty been lifting for five straight years like hey coach carter our throwing coordinator is going to Give you the best bang for your buck not strength right yeah. so it just like you said it depends on where everyone is in their timeline and just being able to um have a feel and know like what's like every athlete has a comprehensive program that targets strength throwing nutrition and so on and so forth but just knowing like which of those levers to pull and like which one we pull first the hardest is about and that's where the you know the great coaches are separating themselves from good coaches
0: oh 100 i think You know, for me, looking back, I would always look at that as like, hey, like, what's that lowest hanging fruit? Or like, I like your analogy of like levers to pull and which one to pull harder, because there are a lot of things to have to pull and kind of keep in balance, kind of like a puppeteer almost. Right. Um, For me, I know I'm probably not going to say much about mechanical flaws unless I know it's like, hey, like if they had injury history. Or they're like, something's going on where you could probably bet like this is a ticking time bomb. Something's going to go off. That would probably be my only early intervention of
1: of throwing um, from that. Aspect. Oh, totally. Yeah, and, and again, um, uh, we actually have a lot of athletes. I think like about 40% of our athletes who start strength training on day one, they also have a throwing program with us right on day one. You know what I mean? Because I'm with you 100%. You know, you see a kid where their front foot lands, and their arm's still here, right? And it's like, okay, like, we just, we can't wait. We can't wait. You know what I mean? Like, we got to, we got to work on your arm action day one. Um, And again, I think we both know those are um, generally, not always, but generally more of the exception to the rule as opposed to the rule. Um, But yeah, like you said, it's just about having a feel and just knowing, like, I'm not going to pull always one fruit. Uh, you know, at a time off that you know low hanging tree, it might be three different fruits at the same time, right? But just being able to make that that feel judgment, you know, at the beginning of an athlete's experience is, I think, uh, what the where the important aspect is.
0: Yeah, I guess going off of that analogy, this is something I honestly just thought of, right? You so you have a tree, and you could say that this is the athlete. You're going to have multiple limbs. There have some where there's like, Hey, we need to definitely pick these cause they're right for the picking. And then there's other ones. All right. We need to let that kind of develop a little bit more or continue to grow a little bit more before we even think about picking at that. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's a it's an interesting, interesting thought. And I think it definitely depends on time of year. It depends yeah. on the type of athlete, the age, what's coming up for them. You know, if a kid says we've had kids that have started and they said, Hey, I wish I would have found you guys three years ago, but the reality is I found you now. And I'm, a, I'm about to be a senior. I've been lifting for three years, and uh, I have like a few big college camps that I just have to do because I'm, you know, gonna be a senior. And they start in three months. And it's like, okay, well, let's just erase everything we typically do with someone their first day, right? Um, we're gonna work on movement and quality, maybe figure out what areas are restricting you mo- mobility wise not really get after it much in the gym because you've been doing it for three years. And let's just focus on throwing first and foremost and making sure you're moving better. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, I talk about baseball Billy um with uh with nuance because it's it's the most typical athlete we have in here. But it doesn't I mean we treat everyone like a baseball Billy. It depends on who you are and and uh you know which fruit you're you're plucking down first and at what times and if at all, it just depends so much on who you have in front of you.
0: 100 percent I agree with that. Now, obviously, well, I'll kind of shift this conversation a little bit more towards the coaches here. Yeah. Look, it's like, okay, like you have those baseball abilities and then you also have the helicopter Henry dads <laughs> uh, or, you know, helicopter. Like, insert insert any parent <laughs> right here. Right. Like, um, you know, it's some parents are awesome and they're like, Hey, I want to stay out of the way. You just do your thing other parents want to just be informed and be like, Hey, like, are we on the right track? And, and it's just like, yeah, like, here's our reports, you know, that kind of show that we're trending in the right direction or like, Hey, we could probably improve on this a little bit more. And those should be conversations that you have with parents uh, because one, they want to know if their money's going in the right place. And if they're actually going somewhere, or if they're getting worse, they need to change or, you know, go and talk to, to baseball Billy when he gets home, be like, "Hey, like, do you actually want to do this?" You know, like sometimes those conversations need to be had. Um, totally. But then the 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 very seldom, but also kind of a pain in the ass helicopter dads. um, You know that they want to be over everything, but also like they say that they want you to train them, but then they're also like wanting to do everything their way. It's you know, at some point I think it's it's time for you to just like have a conversation with them and then just like be at a crossroads like hey like you're either gonna let me coach them or you're not and you guys can go find somewhere
1: else to go. yes I mean I, I I couldn't agree more that those conversations, it, it used to the word conversations, that the conversations need to be had up front when expectations are set. At least yeah. that's my personal belief. And uh, just to set a little bit of context. So um, our, our goal, our mission as a company is to be the first, back to our uh, accurate example, right? You only see a Ferrari in the road, you know, once every few months, if that, right? But to see an accurate about every day. And so and it's a it's a dang good car, it's a luxury car, right? But it makes no uh false promises about being a Ferrari. And so for us, like our mission is to be kind of the accurate of the industry, right? So there are fitness facilities that have tried to scale across the country, and we all know it's a watered-down, crappy product. And so for us, like we want to be the like antithesis of that. We want to be the first. Uh, basically baseball niche facility that scales across the country and delivers high quality individualized in-person training experiences. But the only way for us to do that, right, is to provide careers for coaches. So it's not just a one-year pit stop on the way out of the industry for a strength Mm -hmm. coach. And the only way for us to do this is that to basically transform what is the industry average salary, 35 to 40K up. Taking it a step further, the only way for us to increase that salary for coaches is to charge enough that, you know, we can actually maintain that, as far and deliver that to coaches. So we can't, you know, have a facility of 300 athletes training up to 100 bucks a month like a Planet Fitness and make it work. And yeah. so, long story short, what I'm getting at is, for us, the parent is the one paying the bill for us to make that mission a reality. Mm-hmm. And so, the part that that um, I think is funny is like parents are like literally intentionally pushed out of the experience. I make this. I, I have the story in my presentation for the for the BPS. That, you know I, I walked into an academy partner that we had uh, when we first got going and there's this huge sign on the front of like the the door leading facility saying no parents beyond this point point. and the intention is is right to make it the athlete's experience but I'm looking at that and thinking like these people are paying like five thousand dollars these parents are paying five thousand dollars and you're literally putting a, a sign on your front of your facility saying you are not allowed it, like, it just seems so backwards right? Yeah. And so we try to make an effort to make the parent feel involved in the experience, but back to our discussion about conversations, right? Making it abundantly clear at the beginning that the way that you will feel part of this con- this experience is not making your input felt about what Billy should be doing from a training standpoint, but I will make every effort to fill you in on how his experience is going as far as his progress that he's making, um, roadblocks that that are getting in his way. I will take your input seriously, but you need to know that I i made you a promise, Helicopter Henry and Baseball Billy, that I would do everything within my power to prepare Billy for college athletics. He told me his goal was to be Division One. I- of D1, D2, D3 college baseball player. And I made him a promise. I would prepare him not just for the physical challenges, but mental challenges. And one of those things, as far as the mental challenges is being able to be self-sufficient. And so part of my training program is going to be allowing him to be self-sufficient. Now, at the same time, I don't believe in pushing you out of the experience, Henry, I will make you feel like you are um, involved by filling you in on his progress, but from the training experience with Billy, it has to be his ball game. Right. And if that's not cool with you, like, with all due respect, I think we should go no further. Yeah. That's kind of how the conversation goes. So it's I talk about this in the in the presentation that, you know, I feel like trainer trainers make this an A or B decision, right? I either make Billy um take um ownership of the experience, or I let the parent put their hands in the driving wheel. Instead of, hey, like how can I make Billy like the main like driver of this experience, while also making the parent feel involved but while at the same time setting very clear lines in the sand for what your involvement will be like in this experience. And I feel like there's a way to do both.
0: Yeah, that's a great point though cuz if you you need to have those I don't want to say I guess they are kind of boundaries, but like your those expectations that you're setting from day one. It's like, hey, like you can be involved in this as much as you'd like. You can join in on, you know, for me doing remote training in the past, it's like, hey, like you can join in on our calls. Add, add some input if you want to and especially for you know the baseball abilities that are 13 14 they're still working on their communication skills a little bit too totally. so like, you know they're like hey everything's good no nope, it's great right <laughs> like really short conversations and then the dad like chimes and he's like hey actually did you tell him about you were struggling oh, with oh man basketball pen or like all <laughs> that so yeah you know that that's where you know the the parent does need to be involved because they they're they're seeing the full picture uh versus you know the kid's bias, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. They don't need to be, um, ostracized by any means to, to give the best input. Cause they're, they've seen him play pretty much every game or like, you know, been around them and, and they know like, Oh, Hey, like when, when Billy does this or when he gets in games and, you know, he starts to spiral out, you know, mentally, You know, things start to go wrong. He walks one guy and then
1: it all hell breaks loose. And he doesn't, Billy's not going to tell you that generally as the coach, right? Right. And it's a great point. And I I have this like thing I call the, um, the communication triangle, right? So there's, there's the, the coach, there's the athlete, and then there's the parent. And, um, you know, every kid is different, but typically 13 to 18 year old athletes like are not the greatest about communicating with anyone right? Especially not their parents, but even as the coach, like generally, like, like you said, you get a lot of, uh uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and so the only way that we can communicate with the athlete to the best of our ability is if we have good communication coming inwards to us from the athlete. Right. And that's where I feel like the parents can really come, um, in, uh, really help out the process. Is as long as we're maintaining good communication pathways between us and the parent, a lot of times, to your point, it can alert us to things we maybe aren't getting from the athlete, which allows us to course correct with them and deliver them a better experience and better results. So, yeah, that's a that's a great point, and I think that um I think the parent should be viewed as as an asset. Again, clear expectations super important, but an asset. If uh, co- as coaches, we take a lot of pride in having good relationships with our athletes and getting them better, I think we should uh, view the parent as an asset that can help us in that mission and quest.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, because they're going to be around them more than the, you know, hour and a half, two hours, if you're in person with the athlete, right, like that you're going to be around them, but then they're going to be like, oh, hey, like, get on them, like, did you eat all your food, did you do the additional, like, either mobility work or whatever it is that you have them do, you know, when you don't see them in the, in the weight room or in, in the training floor, wherever it is, right, so. They're, they're definitely going to be an indirect accountability partner.
1: <laughs> so just, that's, a, that's a great way to put it, an indirect accountability partner. Yeah. 100%. We, we always make a joke uh, internally. We say hey, to parents um, back to, you know, how do we provide value? Think of us as out, like you're going to outsource your parenting to someone they actually listen to. Right. <laughs> so it's like, you know what I mean? Like I've been telling my I've had, I had a helicopter hand, I've been telling him to eat breakfast every day. I will Henry outsource your parenting to me for this and I'll make sure that he does X, Y, and Z. And generally what the parent wants the kid to do, not always, but generally what the parent wants the kid to do more of, like we know they also need to do that, but the kid would listen to us more than the parent usually. And so we say it, you know, half joking to a parent, but uh, it's kind of true.
0: Oh yeah. hundred percent. I guess there, there is another, I guess avatar parent that not a lot of people talk about either is, the ones that like live vicariously through their kids and the kids Mm. aren't necessarily always bought in on it. Yeah. Having those types of conversations where like you can tell that the dad's more into it than the kid, kid doesn't take any initiative, you know, maybe at first, like that may be your impression, but then like, as they get more into it or they get more comfortable, maybe they're just shy at first. And then they start to like take a little bit more ownership or they just need to get in a groove and, and discipline, you know, like there's, That fine line, but then I feel like at a certain point there's a crossroads where you're just like, all right, like Billy's not into it at all. And um, you know, whether it's pressure from the parents or just expectations are like, hey, we spent all this money, like you gotta see it through. Um, you know, there there's there's that I guess dynamic to to kind of work around to where I know there's there's some of them are just like I've walked up to some kids and you know, they were in person and training and do all this stuff. I'm just like, Hey man, are you having fun? <laughs> like if, if you can do anything, even though you're not like your heart's not in it, like at least enjoy it while you're here, you know? Um, because sometimes guys yeah. take it a little too seriously because they're, they're hearing it from their parents all the time. And they're like, Oh, you have to do this. You have to, you know, like come at them at, yeah. a, at a certain angle.
1: Um, well, that's actually an really interesting point. Um, because you know what we do, you know, and obviously we live in a day and age where kids are committing in eighth grade. Like I just saw a kid, I was watching like a, a somehow like the perfect game, like there's some perfect game tournament on like CBS sports of like 14 year olds. I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> um, but <laughs> anyway, neither here nor there, but um, you know, uh, I don't even know where I was going with that, but uh, oh yeah. So basically what we tell parents is, and kids too, say hey, in our personal opinion, like Billy, you're going to see your buddies when you're, this is, if baseball Billy is an eighth grader or freshman in high school, you're going to see kids committing. and I need you to know that you do not need to feel this big of a rush to do the same, right? I'm not saying wait till you're a senior, but like right now, like I want, if you're 13, 14, I want you to think about establishing good habits that are going to last you the, like a long time and to enjoy the process and to have fun. I'm not saying we're going to dick around, right? During your training, mm-hmm. but Henry, Billy, one of my big objectives for for Billy for this first year, if he's 13 or 14 is he just falls in love with the weight room and he enjoys the process of getting better. Right. And he learns those lessons. And, um, I think that, um, that's just a super critical aspect of it is just, you know, like you always have those kids that, um, don't seem like they're super invested. The, the parents are clearly living vicariously through their child, but, uh, you know, back to like viewing these things as like challenges to overcome. Or like opportunities to take advantage of, as opposed to challenges that are going to hold us back. You know, I I think of this in terms of like a bell curve, right? So you have like seventy percent, roughly sixty eight percent, fall within one standard deviation of the mean, and it's like fifteen percent and two percent. Mm-hmm. And um, you're always going to have those like two to fifteen percent of kids that no matter what you do, they're just never going to be invested or they're not talented enough, right? And we still love those kids, but sure. you know, I always feel I always talk to our coaches how like to me like the the great coaches not just good coaches but great coaches know how to take like those kids in that 70 percent who maybe like don't seem like super into it on day one when they're 13 14 15 but like somehow like light that spark within them and push them as far to the right of that motivational spectrum as possible because we've all been there and we've all had those athletes that come in and you're like you know man that was a rough initial like assessment or zoom call And then, you know, like a year later, you're like, Oh my God, I was totally wrong about that kid. He just, you know, it's a little more reserved when he meets someone new for the first time, or, you know, I was able to light a spark within him. Um, so, you know, it just, there's definitely like a lot more than meets the eye to like a lot of, you know, clients and getting to know them at the beginning. But, um, you know, that's kind of, um, that's what it's all about as a coach.
0: hundred percent. Well, that's definitely, uh, I guess, uh, intangible or, like something you can't necessarily measure in my opinion, like over time, you'll be able to tell and kind of point that out and be like, Hey, this coach is really good at that or helping string along those guys that, you know, maybe kind of middle of the pack. Um, or do you, do you uh, not agree with that? Do you think there is like a, a way to kind of like, not necessarily objectively measure, but have a idea that like this coach has this personality trait or this type of, uh, you know, style of coaching that helps include those types of guys?
1: Mm, That's a great question. Um, The the only thing I could think of would
0: be like, Mm. hey, like this guy just, he likes to go for the black sheep in the group all the time. Or like he he has that inclusion aspect in his coaching Mm. perspective, right? Where he's going to go and find that guy and kind of reel him in and be like, hey, like you should throw with Jimmy today because you and Jimmy have similar Issues or, you know, not issues, but like, yeah. you can't approach me. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's something that I've always kind of like, I've noticed myself. I was able to do that. And I didn't know why other coaches that I was around never really did that because they would just gravitate towards the guys that they liked, which is fine. We all, we all do like kind of gravitate towards guys that we, you know, just feel more comfortable around, you know, but Obviously, if you yeah. don't go and, Help out the other kid? It's like clearly the, the, the lost puppy. (laughs) Then it's like, all right, like that kid's going to leave and have a terrible experience and probably not stick with baseball versus like you give him some type of confidence boost or something there. And then he's, he wants
1: to stick and kind of makes a difference for him. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, a few years ago, we were really into like personality testing as we were like, when we started, first started to grow, we were like about to hire more coaches. It was like, okay, like how do we, how do we know someone's not know, but how do you increase the likelihood that someone fits into your culture? And uh, inevitably, once we started getting into the weeds, we we're like, should we be doing this with every athlete that comes in to try to try to align a particular coach with that athlete based on, you know, just how they tick internally. So mm-hmm. when you brought the question um you know i think that inherently there's like some level of feel you just have to have when you're a service provider um and i think that no matter who you are no matter what you know a personality test says like you need to have some relative feel but i do think you know for example we have some coaches that um have been more you know a little more reserved or introverted than others and some coaches that are like they're fist bumping on day one right yeah and uh, i think you know in a perfect world, you'd be able to do some sort of like a, uh, an assessment, like at a personality assessment on the app that you have coming in. And actually let me back up for a second and say that we've had coaches that have like really done a, had a difficult time, like connecting with some of their athletes, but like an incredible job with others. And it generally aligns with like their particular, you know, set of character traits, right? Yeah. Like we've had some we've had some, you know, like more reserved athletes that have connected best with our more reserved coaches as opposed to our, you know, intense coaches and sometimes opposite the track. But I think, you know, when you're, you know, 15, 18 years old and you're going into an intimidating environment, you want to have someone that's in your corner that really connects with you and you share a lot of common ground with. So I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I feel like, yeah. you know. There's definitely an element of feel you have to have in some as, as a coach, but I also think there's something to be said for, you know, everyone's different. Everyone has different uh, sets of personality traits and aligning those uh, with athletes and coaches that share similar traits, I think, would be an interesting thing to uh, kind of test out as a, um, as a service provider, a gym or what have you.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, the. Yeah, we are kinda of going a, a little bit down more of a coaching aspect here, which is totally fine. Um, I think one thing that I've noticed just through coaching baseball and also kind of like in other um spots is you know, you you've probably heard quotes of like, Hey, the the most um I might be butchering this quote. Like the most beautiful sound is someone hearing that name. Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie. Yeah. So it's, it's like, okay, if you repeatedly say their name, like not to the point where it's annoying, but like you say it several times throughout the session, they're feeling recognized and they're feeling like they're a part of something, you know, or they're like, oh, hey, coach actually saw me today. He wasn't just like, you know, willy nilly and around and then just like, didn't say anything to me. Oh, I guess he doesn't like me. Or, you know, like that's the thought process that goes through some of these kids' heads is like they're like, Oh, he didn't spend time with me. So like, does he actually care about me or like, you know, and sometimes you have days where you're going to have more attention towards other guys. But if you have that type of recognition or, you know, just be like saying like, Hey man, I see you, like you're, you're putting in work, you know, then I think yeah. that, that goes a long way um,
1: for guys. Just, I got a great story. I got a great story yeah. for this well, This point. It. If you don't mind going. Yeah. So we had an athlete, Um, uh, he, he started off, and this is probably thinking from his like freshman and sophomore year. He gained something like twenty miles an hour. It was stupid. And um the way like our model is we have a coach handles an athlete's like first assessment, and then after that, and they're kind of like their account manager. Right. So they write their programs. But when they come in to train, they're coached by all of our coaches. So there might be 25 athletes in a one time executing semi-private training sessions, and our entire staff of five to six are supervising the floor. So they they have one person that's kind of like their account manager, but they, then they have like you know another four to five coaches that they should be building relationships with during normal training sessions. Mm-hmm. And so we had this um um we had this uh this parent that canceled their child's membership and the big we and this it's really difficult to do but i encourage every coach to do this like have exit interviews because you just you know you learn about your blind spots as a coach as a business etc this parent said that they just um when their coach was in an assessment and which again when when a coach is completing an assessment it takes them off the floor so now they can't like reinforce that relationship so it's up to the other coaches right yeah it just so happened that like every time this kid came in to train, their coach was like off the floor in an assessment. It was just like one of those things, right? And so um, basically, they um, uh, they just didn't feel like any other one of our coaches like went out of their way to build a relationship with them. This kid had gained like 20 miles an hour, and he stopped training because of a relation, a recent uh, rooted in relationships you know what i mean and so what we have now done and one our coach who actually handled that like cancellation call asked like it, he kind of like off the cuff said hey rank like your level of relationship with our coaches on a scale from 1 to 5 we went through each coach and it was like like five being like, that's my dude. The guy is cell number. Like we were, but we're bros, right? One, like I've never talked to that person. And for our other four coaches, it was like one, two, one, you know, three. And it was like, man, we got to figure out some way to objectively quantify the relationship between an athlete and coach. And again, our model presents some unique challenges. Not everyone deals with 30 athletes at once, where it's like difficult not to let some kids slip through the cracks, right? It's not a one-on-one facility. And so what we have done, and again, this is back to, I think, where the best people like have those experiences, then take action, right? Like, we felt that pain, and it's happened before, right? And it was like, it was the final straw where it was like, okay, we're going to do something about this. And so once a quarter, we basically have every athlete on their like post-workout check, and we have that complete. Once a quarter, we just implemented this. We're going to have them rank each coach on a scale from one to five. Basically one, I've never talked to that person five being, he's my, he's my bro. And, um, basically have an objective measurement of like how our athletes perceive their relationships with our coaches. So that way, when they come in the future, we can see, Hey, this guy, Billy, um, he's coming in, he's like three weeks into his training experience. And he gave every coach like a one, except for the one who did his assessment. So, Hey, like Garrett, like Neil Parker, when he comes in, let's just try to like build some rapport with this athlete. Right. Mm -hmm. So kind of a rant and a tangent, but, um, I think that, um, you know, just quantifying those, those relationships, I think is something that is, it's never going to be a perfect science, but like, it should be something I think we attempt to do. So we're going to see how it goes. So I'll fill you in on how it goes in the future. But I think, um, it's something that, uh, you know, deserves to be at least tested.
0: 100%. I definitely agree with that. You know, there are some like, I guess, subjective answers, like, some guys have a conflict
1: with one coach, so they're just going to like rate them super low or, you know, yeah. (laughs) it's a great point. And the first thing I said to our staff was, Hey, I like, I need you to not like overthink this. this Like you are, there are no consequences for having a one on your name next to this athletes survey. Like this is just information. So we can do our jobs better. You know what I mean? And um. So, you know, it's it's definitely super important. The back setting expectations how important it is, not just with athletes, but coaches. Hey, we're doing this new process. It's a test. It might fail miserably. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just let's try it for three to six months, guys, and let's see how it goes. Um, and you're gonna have a one for a kid that just was trying to dick around because he was being a, you know, a little turd, yeah. you know, during a session. He actually loves you, but and that's gonna happen, guys. Right. And I don't care. I'm not saying one coach is better than another because of the score. This just gives you guys more information to do your jobs better. That's it. You know what I mean? So that's a great point. And that's something I was very clear on with the staff when we started was. Well, I'm separating good coaches from bad coaches. Yeah. No,
0: I commend you for communicating that up front to them, like that that's what you were looking for versus not saying anything at all. You know, and then in the back of their head, too, they're like, oh, shoot, are they holding this against me? Are they going to, you know, write me up for this? you know, poor school yeah. or whatever, right? Like that, that type of environment isn't
1: going to yield the best. Well, um, yeah, no, it's, that's a great point. And your podcast um, that you just did a month ago, you talked about making the athletes, kind of giving them a choice with the program. Yeah too. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, um, I love that because I, I feel like there's, I saw research in the last year that said, I don't know if it was like essence like, um, focus, but it was something about like when the client or person feels like they have a say, like they're more bought in and it's actually like proven in some sort of research. Maybe I have that wrong, but I feel like I heard it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so, um, what we also do is we have athletes at the end of the month, we say, what was your favorite drill from your program? right um on their post workout or the we call it the end of program check-in once a month they do this um how would you rank your um how effective you feel your current program was on a scale from one to ten uh in relation to how much you feel like it's gonna help you get to your goals and again one thing i was really clear with the coaches on is hey you're gonna get athletes that give you a seven even though you made an incredible program right you are not being judged on whether or not an athlete gives you a seven or ten but what does it tell you when an athlete gives you a seven and like you made a really good program? It tells you that you didn't communicate, like maybe not, you didn't do a good job of communicating up front. but it was, Hey, this athlete, there's some sort of disconnect and it's not your fault as the coach, but this athlete might understand, not understand training economy as you get closer to the season. Right? So like these scores don't become ways to judge coaches as far as one coach is better than another. It's mm-hmm. this helps me step in and Course correct on a situation that I would have had no idea was an issue until I asked the question. Right? Just lets me be a better coach. That's it. Yeah, that's that's huge. I think that's you know
0: you you always got to take those types of uh, feedback as a way to improve yourself versus you know having the mindset of I guess a victim mindset where it's like oh like all these negative thoughts are like I suck I do you know. And that that even goes for play, players or coaches, really, yeah. right? If a player looks at his assessment and then, like, he sees, like, all these red, you know, markings or, you know, like, things yeah. and you're like, oh, Man, they suck. okay.
1: Yeah. Well, I think um, I'm sure you do this, too. Um, what I always used to say was, like, hey, like, if you came in for your assessment today and everything was perfect, that would be a bad thing to me because it pretty much means that you have no room for growth. So in a really funky, weird way, like I get more excited the the more wrong shit I see because you're already a pretty decent athlete. If we can improve these eight things, holy cow, where will you be once we fix these things, right? And so there's always a way to reframe everything in terms of like a positive. Not that you gotta you know, play patty cake with someone, just pat them on the butt and make them feel better. There's always a time and a place for hard conversations. But, you know, again, back to what I think separates great coaches from good coaches is just knowing, like, how to communicate, right? And I think the best coaches have this in common, they just know, um, they have that feel. Um, it's not always objective, right? But they know when to step in and, you know, uh, just make sure that they're doing everything that, that they that they can to communicate with the athlete to the best of their ability. Sweet.
0: Yeah. That's it. I mean, that's the name of the game right there. We could kind of <laughs> wrap it up just off of that last statement right there, Brooks. Yeah. Well, yeah, was there anything else that you wanted to kind of touch on or, you know, kind of leave the the audience with uh
1: or the listeners? One last final thoughts or anything? Yeah, honestly, we covered a lot of bases. We did. I, I mean, we obviously could probably talk for hours, but um, yeah i think it's just one of those things that you know i guess i would sum up what we talked about is you know being a good coach is about a broad range of characteristics personality traits and then most importantly skills which you have the biggest impact on right and the skills side is just such a such a vast you know domain and it's not just you know what drills am i putting on my athletes program it's not just you know how much can i be a better coach and, and troubleshoot in there it's also the communication side of things right how can i get an athlete bought in on day one to train consistently because if they don't everything i just talked about doesn't matter it's everything I think the best coaches understand that it's like laying one brick in front of another to build a bridge across a river you know those bricks are different in nature and if you are missing one brick you're not going to get across to the other side um, and just knowing like to build those bricks in order and with the various types of bricks you need, I think, is how you become a better coach. And sometimes it takes years, if not decades, but just having that mentality to take action, I think, is what it's all about. 100%.
0: 100%. And uh, yeah, where can they find you? What's the social tags?
1: Um, yeah. So um, definitely at this point, I'm kind of a little more behind the scenes as opposed to front and center, which um, is by design. But the best place to kind of get in touch with BRX is just going to our social media, which is always at BRX Performance um, websites, BRXPerformance.com. But you'll find a lot of good stuff on Instagram, TikTok, and, um, and the like. So by all means, reach out and connect.
0: Love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, for those of you listening, hope you got some value out of it. And share the show if you did. And stay in the zone.